0: Hi everybody, and welcome back to Things I Learned in Therapy. Uh, I'm joined today by our lovely former guest, Erin. Hi. Um, who's here partly because she's such a great guest, but also because Brie is still in Pittsburgh. I'm Actually, I'm going to be visiting her this weekend. Um, I still don't have like my field recording gear, or else mm-hmm. she might be able to make an appearance. But, um, Dang it. Yeah. No, maybe I'll get a clip of her, like saying hi (laughs) that'd be Um, cute yeah but so we're back in the studio in her absence and lots has happened since the last time that we talked I got a cat I started dbt I think that's most of it I don't know I had food poisoning a few days ago (laughs) that's
1: (laughs) like that's hard yeah so that's my updates um I was in Italy for like 2 weeks, just hanging out. That was fun. Uh I ghosted a Taurus since <laughs> I last recorded with you all. Uh yeah, you know, normal updates, normal life events. Anyway, those so, are the yeah. updates. Um and we're going to talk about a lot of really cool things today, aren't we?
0: We are. Yeah, we're like we're being um short and sweet and snappy today because we're back home at Brick, and we, the listeners know that we always have a problem going over time. So we're, we're trying not to do that. Yeah. Um, but they don't really need to know that. That's not the important information today. Yeah. I'm literally already wasting time by talking about <coughs> how we're going to waste time. So today we're going to be talking about our experiences in therapy, which is funny that we haven't gone really deep into that so far.
1: Considering the title, of Things I Learned in Therapy. Right.
0: Um, so we talk, we've talked a lot about the content of therapy and not necessarily like the structure of therapy, um,
1: or the affordability, right? That's what we're,
0: we, I wanted to come in here and start with that because I was telling Aaron earlier that like we talk so much about the importance of therapy and like I talk about how much I love Elise and all this stuff, but I don't often talk about um ha- the accessibility of it. And I know I've I've joked before a little bit, like um my parents pay for therapy so you don't have to, which is not that's not good uh sound advice. <laughs> Please if you can go to therapy. But that was an aside. Um so I'm here today to say that my therapist before insurance reimbursement is 250 mm-hmm. per session. I think wait, no. 200 per session. My psychiatrist is 250. Both of them have sliding scales, but my parents are wealthy. So, like my dad pays them full mm-hmm. fee and then for therapy, I think for both because I have health insurance. They get reimbursed like a significant amount of it mm-hmm. but for almost i've been seeing at least for almost two years and i've been seeing her twice a week for over a year which is like the price of very expensive rent yeah in new york that is um so it's pretty uh pretty crazy very talking crazy. about therapy um, yeah, the, the irony. I don't uh. use that word lightly, but it's literally about therapy. So, and I also just started DBT, which is um, one hundred and fifty for an hour and a half. Oh therapy not cheap. It's really not, and there are like I don't know what the lower end of the sliding scales for either of my people are. I know my psychiatrist mostly sees like lower income patients which is obviously why it's important to pay
1: Mm -hmm. full fee if you can. If you can, so So it balances out. Yeah.
0: Um, So I don't have a ton to say about that. I just wanted to, Mm -hmm.
1: like, put it out there. Um, Yeah, it's it's good information. Um, I feel like I've had, like, a few different therapists, and so a few different costs associated in my life. Um, my most recent therapist was actually, like, school sponsor. Like, it was, like, a doctorate student trying to, you know, get into it. It was really great guy named Mike, and, um, he was great. And I didn't pay anything for that, which was awesome. But I've also had, like, the opposite situation where it's, like, I had no health insurance or health insurance that would apply where I was living, and I'd have to pay, like, 200 out of pocket when it's, like, you're already struggling mm-hmm. and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. So, actually, I will say that,
0: um important context both of my uh like therapy people are out of network so like there's this thing that happens where when your therapist is in network your insurance can say i think that their limit is like 10 sessions or something like that Mm -hmm. so it's actually oh i don't know know if that's the case for all of them but for yours but I think for mine, at least that's what I know from Elise is like it's actually better that she's out of network because they'll reimburse like a decent amount of the cost of each session, but like they can't say this is under our insurance, so you have a limited amount. Like I think they'll cover it completely mm-hmm. or like it will have a small copay, um if it's in network, but then they can kind of cut you off. Um which is what like they'll cover. So
1: ridiculous that makes no sense to it me it makes no it makes um, zero sense it's like oh like you can either go pay a shit ton more and then you can have as much therapy as you want or you can have a limited amount of therapy yet you're not paying much which is just like some people generally need therapy on a weekly or semi-weekly or like just in general really regular basis yeah and so it just like talking about accessibility even right there you know like yeah. even if you do have health insurance it's like can you really Access your therapy.
0: I I actually... I'm not, like, totally sure how that worked because my previous psychiatrist before the one I have now, who is not very good, which is why I'm seeing a different one, my insurance covered the whole fee for Mm -hmm. him. And I saw him for a while. I was seeing him, like, once a week, Mm -hmm. which is very unusual um, for a psychiatrist. And I don't really know... I don't know if the parameters are different for psychiatrists as like medication dispensers versus therapists, and I don't know. So I I don't know if I would have they would have said like we're not covering it anymore at a certain point, or mm-hmm. like or if that only applies to certain situations, or if it's up to their discretion. Like I don't like yeah I don't actually know how that works. It applies I in just, the same way. Yeah. yeah um, but that's context that i didn't like i didn't know Mm -hmm. um also sometimes like the sometimes the like the therapist will have to kind of justify to the insurance company Mm -hmm. like this is why you have to keep shelling out for this um so it's quite a system
1: it's quite a system i don't know i feel like I, i just feel so like apprehensive towards like the american healthcare uh, system in general which obviously also covers mental health care and it's it's really fascinating because like there's just so much inherent like ableism within the system especially towards mentally ill people because there's like this idea of like oh it's not like true like there's so much stigma even when you're especially when you deal with like insurance companies then you're also dealing with like payment because like obviously not everyone who's mentally ill can afford therapy and like There's just so many aspects of, like, intersections in our society that are, like, struggling as a result of it. And, like, I don't really know the way to approach it. And it's also really fascinating when you think about, like, just, like, accessibility of help in general and the encouragement of people going to seek help and then, like, not having access to it due to whether it be affordability or what. But then you'll have people like Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spade who are, like, rich as hell. And they, like, you know... Yeah. It's just... yeah, you know, it's so, I don't know, it's also so upsetting. Yeah, I mean, if, if we started
0: talking about, like, pre-existing conditions oh and God. policies and copays and all sorts of things. We could like, be here we all day. Be, absolutely. Um, <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> Good way to segue into our next subject because we're going to talk about our experience mm-hmm. with particular Th- therapists therapy, and types therapist. of therapy. Um it's all kind of one mush of an episode. There it's all all goes together. We're trying to cover a lot of ground.
1: Yeah. <laughs> we yeah, we've got we've got mm-hmm. it. Um for me, I've had let me think. like four therapists and I've done general talk therapy and then EMDR therapy. Which if any listeners or even you, Chloe, aren't familiar with EMDR therapy, it's basically a trauma therapy that focuses on um, like directly healing the brain and like working through negative cognitions that you form through um, intense long-term trauma. Um, and it's, it's specifically like used for people with PTSD and especially people with complex PTSD, which is what I have. So that's what I can talk about because it's my experience. Right.
0: Is that the one? Mm-hmm. That is part of that dealing with images and eye movements or is that a different one you can
1: do it that way like okay. it's um the way I did it um was a bit different where it was like so I had I would hold these like little buzzers that would go back and forth and then I would also like buzzing in my hand and then I would have headphones on and they would play like music back and forth and it stimulates and you focus on a feeling that you associate with a negative cognition and then it stimulates like Basically, um, actual memory processing, which usually only happens when you're sleeping. Um, Mm -hmm. And so you start seeing like memories kind of like imagine you're on a train and you watch like the train go by, but it doesn't have any linear direction. Like you'll see something from when you were five. You'll see something when you were 10 from last week. Like it it doesn't matter. Like it's all there and it's supposed to help you actively work through it in a way that you're obviously being blocked from doing in your own Mm -hmm. daily life. Um, but yeah, I can't listen to the Braveheart soundtrack now because my therapist, Alina, loves Braveheart. And so I, that's the music I would hear. And I'm terrified that if I were to watch the movie Braveheart, I would just start processing trauma. Oh my god.
0: They just get to decide what soundtrack you listen <laughs> yeah. to. Yeah. Mint, I would think that you get some say in that if you're gonna no, be listening. I just get
1: this really intense oh, like Braveheart, Braveheart music. That's so <laughs> <laughs> I, I would think they'd have some kind of like clinically sanctioned instrument. <laughs> <laughs> nope, it's Braveheart, you know? Wow. It's, yeah, it definitely um uh, it's so great. It's it's so great just I mean, personally I actually love AMDR. I feel very, like, lucky that I was able to do that. It was, like, 170 a session, and mm-hmm. she actually was cheaper for me. Like, she purposely was cheaper because I was, like, a student in college. But also, like, yeah, it's it's very expensive.
0: Yeah, I like, I actually, I had a very dim idea of what EMDR was mm-hmm. before you just talked about it, and I, that's actually really fascinating. So I don't really know, I guess. It's hard. Yeah, really I uh-huh. want to ask you some things. I okay, get Okay, let me think. Because I was going to talk uh-huh. about, like, the types of therapy that I do, but I think we can talk about your, like, mental health journey, and then I can get back to that. So I did want to ask you, because I don't know, does PTSD always come from
1: specific... Traumas. Do
0: you know like
1: what like the happened? differentiation and yeah? Uh, well, so okay, so there's PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, and then there's complex PTSD, which is basically so the difference between that. Um, and give you two examples. Let's say someone has like a car accident and like they almost die and it's really horrible. Okay, and then they might over the period after, like, during the recovery, suffer from PTSD, um, and so they might have troubles, like, being in cars and stuff like that, you know, um, and deal with, like, flashbacks and nightmares and night terrors, all that. Uh, Well, complex PTSD is a bit different because complex PTSD usually occurs over time in a situation where you're helpless to get out of the trauma, other than traumatizing you. Happens to a lot of people that were, like, abused or neglected. Um, Happens to a lot of people who survive... uh, genocide stuff like that like Mm -hmm. those are examples of people that often tend to suffer from it um and because of that they learn to survive like like usually it's again at a young age so it's like you learn to survive via around this trauma right and so your whole personality kind of is birthed in trauma and trying to navigate it um, so like, for example, like anytime I'm in any kind of situation with my family, I go into auto caretaker mode and I also do that with everybody else too. And that's a direct result of trauma I've suffered, you know? And what's interesting is so you form these negative cognitions, which, um, are you familiar with that term? A bit. Um, so negative cognitions are basically things that you form like perceptions of the world and yourself and other people based on trauma that aren't true. You know, they're just not inherently true, but because of how you... That's, like, what you believe. And the thing is, because of that inherent um, belief, whether you're conscious of it or not, you actually end up attracting more trauma towards you or more situations that mirror previous trauma. And so it's just, like, an ongoing thing. So um, for me, I have very direct, like, this is what traumatized me. Like, this and this and this, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, but not everyone's so lucky. Like, there are people that can suffer from like, CPTSD, who do also the same therapy I did at EMDR, where they have no recollection. Like, they blacked it out completely. Well, mm-hmm. for me, it's, like, I, I blacked out a lot of my life. But, like, I do remember distinct things that happened. So, it's it's a bit different.
0: Right. That's, that's interesting. I think I'm – it's interesting to hear you talk about, like, forming, like, reactive patterns. Mm-hmm. Because that's actually how, and I didn't realize that this before. I got my borderline diagnosis, which surprise listeners, I um a while ago got diagnosis borderline, um, and I didn't realize that it was also kind of the understanding of it is as like a a mood disorder that's reactive to mm-hmm. a situation that like if you have an unstable situation in like particularly in your teens that it's one of the th- like one of the kind of options you have in developing stuff to deal with which it, mental that, illness are you going to develop right, which are you going to pick suffering your teens. exactly so it's like then it comes back up mm-hmm. usually it comes up like borderline rears its head in like your 20s mm-hmm. um which are actually a lot of a lot of mental illnesses, illnesses do. do so yeah. it's like once you've left the like unstable situation that you developed in then Mm -hmm. like when you're trying to stabilize in Mm -hmm. your adult life that's when it all comes out um so my experience has been like i've i've realized now that i have a full-time job a healthy relationship with a partner and like a good living situation like in terms like i have an apartment that like is long term and comfortable um that my situation, i've never been stable since like being like my my situation has never been stable up until Mm -hmm. this point from when i was like like again maybe even like a toddler or like when i was in like elementary school and my sister was young to like basically, right now. Um, and in different ways. Mm-hmm. Like, I had a really bad um, situation living with my sister, um, which we're not really going to get into today. But I was in, like, a, a really bad home situation for my development as a person. And high school was terrible. I finally moved out of my bad home situation. College was, like, even worse. I was... Mm-hmm. had... Like, I was destroyed all the time. I was so anxious. I was depressed. I was in a really toxic school environment. Then everything was up in the air, and I maybe had cancer, and all this stuff happened after I got out of school. And then now. And now we're here. And now I'm, like, I'm supposed to be fine. And all of it is bubbling back up where I'm, like, these are the symptoms of anxiety and depression and stuff like that that I was experiencing when I was, like, in school sleeping for four hours and, like, just completely beside my like a shell Mm -hmm. of myself. So why are these but it's like why are
1: they popping back up when you're in like a good space. Exactly. So that's
0: in my experience
1: Which it's funny you you bring that up because I feel like that just only is like a testament to how destructive mental illness can be where it's like everything could be going so well. Like you could be living a life that like numerous people would want to live, right? Like I I've for example, I've lived on multiple continents, I've traveled the world I've met so many amazing beautiful people but at the end of the day like in a lot of situations I would still be very depressed I would feel very alone and I, you know what I mean like it wouldn't go away because mental illness doesn't go away even if things are good you know like that's just not how it works <laughs> like, right. and it sucks more because you're like I'm
0: supposed to be happy right now and if I'm now then when would I ever be happy because it's like the best right now
1: right right and then like you also feel guilty oh yeah For feeling bad like you're like oh wow you know and it's it's very fascinating to me just as a person um, who has, like, done a lot of things that I have always wanted to do. A lot, like, lived a life I really, really, like, at 17, like, if I knew who I was now, I'd be like, holy shit, I'm so cool. You know what I mean? But yeah. at the same time, like, I also, like, severely mentally ill. Incredibly high-functioning. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Like, I am great. Hats off to me. But at the same time, like, there'll be plenty of times where I, like, I can't leave my house today. Who wants to buy me food? And, you know, and that happens semi-regularly. <laughs> you know? Like, it's just, you know, mental health is so strange.
0: Yeah. I, when I first got my, or actually, like, over a year ago, my therapist and I talked about, mm-hmm. but we went through, like, the DSM diagnosis criteria for Borderline. Yeah. And... We talked, and I've checked all of these boxes, and I thought what we were talking about like, oh, it's so funny that you have all of these symptoms, and I didn't think that she was actually saying like, this is you, because I was like, I, I'm so high functioning, like I couldn't, mm-hmm. I'm not, like a wreck, and I don't, I'm, I'm not, not crazy, right? Well, not even like yeah. that, not because of the stigma, but because I'm like, I'm not sick enough to like, justify this, yeah. yeah. So now that I. The only reason why I knew that that was, like, my official mm-hmm. diagnosis was because um, Elise wanted me to start DBT. And she was like, oh, yeah, DBT is usually for borderline. I was like, is that me? <laughs> like, am I... Is, this is that what you're
1: saying? Yeah. yeah. Not
0: because I was, like, afraid to be crazy, mm-hmm. but, quote, unquote. Um, yeah. But because also, I was,
1: like... I'm just apologizing for using crazy all the yeah time. um this is why
0: i was saying before i wouldn't use it lightly i yeah. i only use it for the most part i just uh-huh. use it to refer to myself i'm like i yeah. feel crazy today mm-hmm. um no that's what i'm saying. Yeah. It's like-
1: I feel comfortable using it yeah. as, like, a person who is mentally ill, but also just saying if anyone's listening that isn't mentally ill, that doesn't right. give permission just be like, That's sure. crazy. And, and that's then, of course, I'm like, I'm not saying. mentally ill enough to use it. Yeah, right? Then it's like, and then it kind of becomes, like, this competition in your own head about yeah.
0: it. Oh, like, we know I always play the mental illness Olympics. Yeah,
1: who doesn't, you know? Like, oh, <laughs> you have this happening? Well, guess what? This is my shit this week. Like, everyone does it. Like, everyone does it. Yeah. You know. I find that now that i mm-hmm. have
0: a diagnosis that mm-hmm. i reference it a lot like that at the same time as i don't feel justified mm-hmm. in like having that as my label i'm also mm-hmm. like oh well i'm doing this because this i'm this. crazy so yeah. like what can i say but that's so
1: real because i feel like before um I, basically i went th- i had like a 10 month like mental break um, when I was living in China and I didn't actually have any confirmation of the fact that until that summer, like, so I was like there from like fall to spring and then in the summer back home in Oklahoma, I finally had confirmation. Right. And before that I'd be like, Oh, I'm feeling this way. Why am I feeling this way? This is just, you know, and now I'm like, Oh, I'm feeling this way specifically because of this, you know? And even though there'll be moments of me being like, I'm not traumatized enough. Then there's other moments. Where I'm like, I'm the most traumatized <laughs> person alive. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. and I can reference like all these like symptoms and be like, this is what I'm doing. I know I'm doing this. Hmm. And in some ways, it's really bad because like I'll justify like probably semi self destructive behavior with like, I'm sorry, I'm just. I've got complex PTSD. It doesn't matter if I smoke a package a Like, <laughs> I got to deal with my, my anxiety, you know? Right. Like, I do that in my relationships where I'm, like, I've, I'm so upset about this thing that doesn't make sense, but I'm crazy. crazy. <laughs> no, right? Or I'll be, like, I'll react to something, and I, it's, like, I know it's because of past trauma that I associate with other relationships, and then I'll have to explain to some... I feel really bad for the people, but, like, someone who's, like, interested in me, right? And I'll be, like... Okay. So this is why I panicked. It's because of this. I'm very traumatized. And I I feel like my, actually my favorite move, I would say, in dating as a mentally ill person is being on the first date and bringing up your diagnosis. Like really, mm-hmm. that's my favorite thing is like, oh yeah, I've got complex PTSD and like I went to trauma therapy. And if they react positively, I'm like, all right. And then if they react like negatively or like, or like, oh, oh, oh my God. So sorry, I'm like, uh, yikes. We've totally
0: talked about this on the show before because I Uh used to say to Elise and to other people that I wish I came with a warning label. And I'll just, like, pepper it in all the time when I meet people. And because I was like, because I seem really high-functioning. Mm-hmm. And like when I started doing like a lot of online dating, I was at a point in my life where I was using it as like an escapism. A yeah, and a, yeah, also like a, right. <laughs> so, which is very clear now. And I knew at the time I was like escape, but I didn't totally see the full mm-hmm. picture. And like I knew also it was a problem. And still do it. Oh yeah, you know I was mean? like, well, at least I know that this is bad while I'm doing it. Like I know that these guys are using me but like because I know it they can't really be using me right So I'm like I'm here I know what's happening guys like I'm not stupid um so I oh my god what was I just gonna say uh oh when I I started doing this online dating I was like at a point in my life where I would be crying on the phone to my mom for like just sobbing for like three hours every day Mm -hmm. in school like just Just, like, a complete mess. Yeah. And then I would go out and, like, be fun and flirty and, like, put my makeup on and, like, pretend to be a a different version of myself. Yeah. Yeah. Because that was, like, how I escaped from it. And
1: I've talked about this here before. But, um, yeah, I've had, like, a lot of experiences in which I've I've just gotten really real with professors just being like, hey, uh, I'm sorry. I was dissociating all day. And I' not gonna get this into you, or hey, sorry, I was triggered by some trauma. Here you go, and where they've just been like, oh shit, okay. Oh, I've been really lucky, and I know that, but oh my god, I had this one really bad experience. I'm in Spain actually, where I had I was it was my Spanish professor, and she was really really young and kind of hip, you know. She lives in Madrid. She's cool, and I had on my computer saved this trauma list because with EMDR you have to like kind of. Uh, you know, like you have to like write out all the trauma you think is contributing to all these negative, what you think you've learned from it and what it told you about yourself, which is obviously a really dark list. And I thought I was turning in my Spanish homework, but what actually ended up happening was I accidentally sent her that without realizing, and I didn't realize that I had sent it to her until she sent me an email back being like, Erin, I, I don't think you realize you sent this to me, but I'm here, you know? Like, but the thing is, I was so, like, she handled it really well. Like, she could have, it could have been horrible. But I was so mortified and triggered. I didn't leave my house, like, all day. Like, I couldn't stop sobbing because it's just, like, the vulnerability of just, like, having, t- you know, that happened was so shocking. I was, That's like. a nightmare. Yeah, it was, it was oh a literal nightmare. God. It was yeah, it was just kind of one of those things of like, because yeah, when you're really high functioning and you're doing like semi-well or what you consider semi-well and then all of a sudden it's like someone finds out how mentally you actually are and you feel like the secret's out and you're like, oh no, oh no, now they know, (laughs) you know, like... Yeah, It's terrifying.
0: I feel like I've never been in a situation where somebody like found out when I didn't mean to tell them. Mm -hmm. My experience has been like that I want people to know without me having to tell them because they make these assumptions about me. Mm -hmm. Um, Either that like I'm fine or that like I said that like things that I'm doing are just about like me being lazy or me Mm -hmm. being whatever, whatever. But it's actually like I'm barely holding together whatever the symptoms are of my mental illness. Yeah. And I'm like, so I, my, yeah, my experience is like, I just want them to know without me having to just like birth mm. completely inappropriate and be like fucking
1: sick. Yeah. Right. No, that's, that's very real too. I know I guess at my end, it's a bit different. Um, Cause like, there'll be moments where I have wanted, like when I'm in really, really hard spots, for people to know, but I feel like, so when I was younger, like before I was like diagnosed, before I had like my mental break, like basically before I realized I was traumatized, I used to like do this thing, um, which actually a lot of people with complex PTSD apparently do, which is interesting, uh, in which I would talk about trauma very casually, almost mm-hmm. clinically, as oh, if it yeah. wasn't something that had happened to me. And I, and I, I didn't even realize I did it until a friend pointed it out. Like it was at that level. And then after my mental break... It's at this point where, like, I mean, I, if someone asks me a direct question, I will tell them, you know. But, like, I, 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 you know, I have friends who, like, I love so deeply, but then they don't know anything about me. Just because, like, at this point in my mental health, recovery, healing, whatever, I become so cautious about who has access to my trauma. Because I see it as, like, to some extent, such a big influencer in my life. Because it is, like... Like, I I would not be the same person if I wasn't a traumatized individual. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess for me, it's, like, I don't want people knowing in the same way, like, unless I directly tell them. But, like, I feel like usually I'm not on the direct tell anymore, even though I used to be. So it's interesting that you are now more in, like, a tell, you know, like, let people know, warning label scenario. Right, I think,
0: well, that's something that I used to talk about a lot, and Elise actually dissuaded me, Mm -hmm. but having that impulse that, like, um that that actually wasn't the right way to go about it. it was to like meet people that I was interested in dating and be like watch out um <laughs> she's like please have a like higher opinion of yourself yeah true that to say because I the fear was like they're gonna reject me and she's like you think other people don't have like Things. issues
1: and stuff like, like even people that are mentally ill yeah
0: yeah everybody you're right everybody has stuff so she was like you don't need to warn people on the first date that you're messy like mm-hmm. like everybody's re- got yeah shit. regard yourself more highly than that
1: mm-hmm. so
0: and also i am very very influenced by what i think other people think about me which we can talk about how that's um a really big thing with borderline um mm-hmm. but my so my opinion of myself is entirely formed by what i think other people's opinions and perceptions of me are mm-hmm. so like interactions that i've had will haunt me for like f- years decades based like that somebody that i interacted with for like two minutes they had some fleeting opinion of me that mm-hmm. i still carry with me and so that all like snowballs into whatever i think of myself so like i think she was at least also i think was trying to make the point of like you can exist without this person knowing that the reason why you're doing this is something that's going on inside of like mm-hmm. not that it was wrong for me to feel that way but that she wanted me to work on moving past that mm-hmm. um because
1: it's hard to do cuz yeah. it's like right. it's really hard yeah
0: and not feeling like I should justify myself to everybody so that I mm-hmm. felt okay about myself um yeah so i yeah so to clarify like my impulse to come with that warning label comes mm-hmm. from kind of a negative place and now i talk about it really often but i also i'm still working on because i I would make it into a joke a lot with Mm -hmm. people like people in my personal life i'll talk about it all the time but i'll never actually externalize my experience so i'll like talk about being sick Mm -hmm. all the time but nobody ever sees me being sick sick. yeah um
1: which i mean i feel like that often happens yeah you know what what i mean um just because like i feel like I mean, I can't speak for every mentally ill person, but for me, like, in the moments of actually being very, like, open, external, like, being completely external my mental illness, like, I'm sobbing, having flashbacks in front of someone kind of thing, those people don't stick around. They don't. And, um, and so, for me, as, like, a mentally ill, Ill person who's experienced that, and it's only, like, reinforced, like, almost, like, a stigma about it, where it's, like, I... T- I'm not going I'm going to tell someone I'm mentally ill. Like I'll be like, "Hey, yeah, I have this." But like the moment I start showing symptoms in front of them or start acting in a way that I know is reflecting my symptoms, I immediately like I I walk away because I can't be mm. like that in front of anyone.
0: Yeah, I actually my habit has always been to mm-hmm. find one person and get very enmeshed with them and then dump everything on them and like have a very codependent like um mm-hmm. not to say parasitic um
1: that's a lot of borderline though right yeah like, what's the what's the term it's um your person it's your like the i thought i had borderline for a period i don't oh, okay. but so like i researched it a lot um what's it called you're idolizing someone and then like you can split on them and then you like demonize them right i don't or.
0: i don't know what particular term you're talking about i also it's partly i don't person. know a bunch of terms because uh-huh. my therapist doesn't like which is why I didn't Uh, know what my like like I know the like I know the criteria but mm -hmm. we haven't talked about like I don't know the term for my like I know that I have a person that I like (laughs) dump on but um but yeah no it totally is a thing where completely infatuated and then Mm -hmm. sometimes for completely made up reasons inside of myself I'm Mm -hmm. like this is a terrible relationship this person like we're never gonna work so I'll cycle through that. There are times in my relationship with Pat, who I love and will probably, as far as I know, be with for an infinite amount of time, who I have an inc- like comparatively an, in- an incredibly healthy relationship with. Mm-hmm. There are days that I'll flip flop every hour or two between being like, "Oh my god, I love you so much," and then they'll do like they'll I don't know, do tiny things mm-hmm. or say one like I I don't I couldn't even come up with an example, but like then I'll spend two hours being like. Oh, I don't know if this is the right. I made all these mistakes. I don't think this is the right relationship. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, why are they such a bad bro? Why am I, I made all these mistakes in my life. And so my yeah. brain will just be going spiraling, spiraling, spiraling like that. And now I understand what's happening. Now I see that yeah. happening. But I used to think that that was kind of what everybody did is just to like mm-hmm. flip, like just go totally. through super like cycles. So I, mm-hmm. it might be a good time to talk about like what the actual like tenants of borderline would mm-hmm. be because I think, I think the social conception of it like the, our are like societal image of it the media image like is incredibly like incredibly
1: stigmatized
0: yeah stigmatized and usually anger like irrational anger and like explosiveness like manipulativeness yes mm-hmm. um so i i have kind of i'm like not the image of borderline in that I don't really experience anger. I don't lash out. Um, I get I get upset a yeah. lot. I I have tons of breakdowns. I have, like, all sorts of things happen to me, but I don't have that, like, open manipulation and anger mm-hmm. and, like, aggressiveness. Um, that is usually associated. Right. Yeah. So now, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, that, like, the DSM criteria mm-hmm. in, like, the year 2000 was really different than what it is now so there's kind of like an a and b option for a lot of the different like categories Mm -hmm. of things that you have associated with borderline so like the one of the really big things for me is we just talked about this a bit is like the identity portion of it Mm -hmm. where you just like you have no secure sense of self and it's like formed by everybody else and it's really unclear and I i have like a lot of I have an immense amount of self doubt and like Mm -hmm. self hatred, and I can't, I never feel, I have no emotional, internal emotional validation or emotional processing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, or at least now I'm working on it. But so I always partner with people who will tell me what I feel and take the lead and make my decisions for me. It ends up being really fraught because intellectually I really chafe at that and I want to be treated as an equal. Mm -hmm. But like, my kind of natural my inclination was to seek out people Mm -hmm. who would make decisions for me because I was so uncertain of myself and it like really scares me to have to make any yeah like any have any self-determination an emotional level not on an intellectual level but like I'm deferring like a million times a day I try to defer to people in my life to make
1: those decisions decisions
0: or even tell me how i feel i'm constantly mm-hmm. trying to get people to tell me how i feel um so internally i'm incredibly confused about myself um and like i we just talked about have the thing where it's like pulling and pushing where it's like uh i have very um insecure anxious attachment mm-hmm. where it's like i'm like i need you i need you to need you like my whole life <laughs> Um, Which is why I loved a guy who told me I love you two weeks into our relationship because I was like, "Oh yeah, leave me." Um, Which goes hand in hand with the insecurity, but like, (laughs) 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 Um, so so this Mm. is what I'm saying about it, like all coming up now that I'm stable is like those are things that I was never noticing before, Mm -hmm. and now I feel like I feel crazy all the time. I'm like I'm constantly noticing, oh totally, like all that nonsense. So like
1: when you have your actual diets. Like, that's it. Like yeah. all of a sudden, you just notice everything. Right. And I'm you can't actually help but
0: notice. I like can never keep all this stuff in my head. So I'm actually referencing the DSM criteria right that's now. Wonderful. Um, like impairments, um, significant impairments in personality functioning, uh, <laughs> impairments in interpersonal functioning, um, and what's interesting. These are like other things. This is why the 2013 mm-hmm. criteria is different. Is because it's like in that category you can Mm -hmm. have a or b so one of them is that you don't you have a really hard time experiencing empathy Mm -hmm. and so like that doesn't i have i'm like a tuning fork for other people's emotions and thoughts like i am bowled over by other people's stuff Mm -hmm. so that one is like i have i'm hurt by the level of empathy that i experience but like b is that you have intense unstable and conflicted close relationships uh Marked by mistrust, neediness, and anxious preoccupation with real or imagined. Imagined abandonment. abandonment. Yeah. Um. Like, <laughs> so when elise and I were going through this list, we were like, oh, <laughs> and just like laughing. It's so funny. These are so accurate. Like, oh, um, so
1: funny. You know, yes. This is so true. Um. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So the other things are like mm-hmm. mood and anxiety and insecurity and all this. Uh, depression. Yeah. Did you um, know
1: that a lot of people who are later like diagnosed with complex PTSD are originally thought to have uh, borderline? I didn't know that. There's a lot of similarities in it cuz it's mostly like like especially if it's like a woman like they usually put like oh, a yeah. borderline perspective and then also um basically cuz there's tends to be a lot of similarities like a lot of people who are later diagnosed with borderline but like not all but like a lot of people tend to have suffered trauma as a children and as s- a children <laughs> as chi- yeah I can't speak as children <laughs> okay. suffered trauma as children I shouldn't make fun of you while you're while I'm speaking emotionally about your emotions talking experience. about my <laughs> I know. Yeah, so uh, that tends to be the case. So oftentimes they'll be like, oh, well, they must have borderline. And like, that's automatic. Well, there are slight differences, but there's like actually a ton of similarities in our symptoms.
0: Hey, Tilt listeners, um, this is Chloe from the future, interrupting your programming to bring you a little editor's note. In the last 15 minutes or so of recording with Aaron, we got into some family stuff that I'm kind of on the fence about sharing. Um not for my sake, since you know I uh have no qualms about sharing my personal life, but um for their sake and um actually mostly because I feel like uh I didn't give enough context and information for this to be relevant for any of you. So I'm just letting you guys know. Um otherwise the cut from this to the end of the episode would be totally off the rails. So, enjoy the last two or 3 minutes, no, maybe less than that of this episode of things I learned in therapy and uh and hopefully next month I'll give myself some slightly clearer content to uh edit weeks after the fact. Bye from Future Chloe.
1: But anyway, I'm Aaron Taylor and uh my Twitter is at Aaron is away and I actually just switched my Instagram to Jerry Seinfeld's Hot Years. <laughs> so uh follow me there too. And uh, like not to. um like
0: what was it Daddy Scissor Hands? Oh my daddy
1: scissor hands. Yeah, that was I it. actually
0: don't know if I cut <gasps> did I cut that? I,
1: wait, no, I believe you kept it in, but also Daddy Scissor Hands wasn't available, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. But Jerry Seinfeld's Hot Years was because I was really out of it earlier watching Seinfeld. And I was just like, damn, Jerry used to be a hottie. So if wow. you're listening, Jerry. I don't think I've ever had that thought, but I'm <laughs> glad
0: you've realized your Instagram handle dreams. I'm too. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and you can find. Things I Learned in Therapy on Facebook um, and we're at Tilt Podcast and we're on iTunes Mm -hmm. and we're now we're now promoting that you should rate us subscribe 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 five stars yes and we will be talking to you again next month by you I mean the listeners it might be you literally Aaron we'll have to see what the schedule is I don't know
1: if I'll be back. Yeah, or when I'll be back, or if I'll be back. But again, that's why you should follow me on social media because yeah. the content never stops flowing. So it's <laughs> <laughs> the worst thing I've ever said. <laughs> the The juicy, uh, the juicy juice juicy of my mind, river of
0: sparkling <laughs> content. Um, mm. the flowing. I we don't have time for we me to riff about like mountains of. <laughs>
1: Down into content. Thought, yeah. But. Anyway, happy b- June. By the way, happy birthday. <laughs> happy birthday. Happy, happy
0: birthday. Happy birthday, everybody. Yeah. Happy gay birthday. Happy gay birthday. Woo!
1: <laughs>